Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Oh, don't you just want to pour out your praise to him today? He is our creator. He's the one who who gave us this great gift of the breath in our lungs, our creator God. And it's just my joy to be in his presence this morning with you and share this opportunity just to praise him and to thank him. And we're going to continue that this morning. We are going to continue to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in our sanctuary and in this church. And I want to say to all of the mothers in the room, happy Mother's Day to you. I want to uh, give you my um, encouragement as mothers. That video that we saw this morning, that was, that, that was pretty spot on at least from my memories of my mother. Yeah, omnipotent, omniscient, eyes behind the head, uh, omnipresent. You know, you couldn't get, man, you couldn't get away with anything, you know, busted. Oh, she caught you. Yeah. Then she'd get out the stick sometimes too. So you didn't want to cross mom. Moms are a joy, and I just want to, again, just give you my great, great uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you. We're Talking about life, you know, being a mom is life. Being mom's part of life, having a mom's part of life. Some of us had uh, better mothers than others. Some of us had our mothers for a long, long time. Some, uh, maybe we didn't even get to know our moms or didn't even have our moms. Uh, but it's all part of living this thing on this earth, life. We've been talking about life and uh, the things, the experiences, the ups and the downs of life. When we began a few weeks ago, we said life needs to be what? Centered on Jesus Christ. Really, otherwise life uh, becomes somewhat totally meaningless. Unless you're centered on Christ, you don't really have the meaning and the purpose figured out. So we need to get that straight. That's the first thing, that God and Jesus, they are what we need to be focused on. And then we um, spoke about leadership. There was civil leadership, church leadership, all under the headship of Jesus Christ. Last week we discussed uh, when we live Christ-centered and we're under the leadership and the headship of God and uh, the leaders that he put here on this earth, whether they be civil, whether they be uh, the church leaders, we can live without worry. We talked about Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, right? God feeds the birds of the air. He takes care of the flowers, clothes them magnificently. The flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow, Jesus said they're tossed in the fire, but God cares for them. God cares for the birds. He cares for the flowers. And then Jesus asked this question, are you not much, are you not much more valuable than they are? And we answered the question, of course, of course. And we discussed uh, how under such care, the care of the God who created us, the care of the God who put his breath into our very lungs, that if we're under that care, this hard saying that was posed by Jesus, don't worry about your life, that can become easier than it appears. And we can actually live without 
being taken down by worry and consumed by it. So we considered this great care of God and uh, how if we embrace God as Father and we have this relationship as a child of God, we can trust Him and we seek Him more, and the worry of life, it can ebb away. And that was in that section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6. And it was in there, too, that Jesus uh, posed that question, are you not much more valuable than they, than this other creation? And I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, this morning. How much more valuable are we, God's uh, creation in His image and likeness, how much more valuable are we than the birds of the air, the flowers of the field? I want to dig into that a little bit more this morning and talk about the worth of life, the value of life. And I'm going to be using a scripture from Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, whatever way, shape, or form that you get into God's Word, get your finger onto Acts chapter 20. Paul had spent about three years, the apostle had spent about three years in the city of Ephesus. He'd been teaching. He'd been preaching. He actually describes that he was there day and night putting out the Word of God. Three years. So you imagine three years' time, you get pretty close with someone, you can develop relationships. But he was leaving. He was leaving town. He had to go. And it was kind of a hard scene. Uh, He was a bit emotional. He was giving a heartfelt farewell. Some call this uh, Paul's Olivet Discourse. When Jesus bid goodbye to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, uh, we have in the gospel the Olivet Discourse, the goodbye sermon of Jesus. And here Paul's saying goodbye, and it's a heartfelt goodbye to these, the elders and those leaders in the church of Ephesus. And I want to read some about this because it gets to this point about worth and value of life. So I'm going to begin in Acts 20, verse 17. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. I'm going to go from verse 17 to 24. So Paul was in this little town, and he was going to call for the elders. From Miletus, Paul sent, and that's just a little port town on the Mediterranean. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia? I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul had served in this city of Ephesus at the church three years. He was leaving. He was Uh, going to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was ahead wasn't going to be easy. There were difficulties awaiting him. And he declares as he departed, I consider my life worth nothing to me. As if he was singing with us this morning, 
The greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. Life, my life, worth nothing. Now, last week we alluded to just how valuable we are in God's sight. Jesus made that point. You are worth so much more than this other creation. And Paul writes something that just seems the opposite, isn't it? I consider my life worth nothing to me. Was Paul contradicting Jesus? Or was he just fatalistic, even suicidal? No, none of it, none of it. Paul had an outlook on life that was shaped by his faith in Jesus Christ. What was his life worth? And before we answer that question, I'll just ask, what is any life worth? Now, from the human perspective, since really almost the dawn of time, one man has put a price on the head of another. In Genesis 37, we read about Joseph. He had his 11 brothers. What did they do to him? They threw him into a cistern, and then they sold him to a passing caravan that was going to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver. That was the price. That was what Joseph was worth. He was worth 20 shekels of silver. Now, that's one way to value a life, isn't it? Put a price, an actual price on it. And that's been going on forever. When uh, Julie and I were out of town, we went to South Carolina. And we were able to visit some beautiful places, plantations. And we walked into one, and it was stunning. The Boone Hall Plantation in uh, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. It's absolutely beautiful. This is uh, where movies have been filmed, north and south, and uh, a number of other movies have been filmed there. You come down this road that's a quarter mile, half mile long. It's lined with these live oak trees that have been there for hundreds of years, and it's absolutely stunning. They planted John Boone's son, William, I believe it was. He planted 90 oaks along this lane. And I believe they still have 87 of them. And they've formed over about 250 years now a canopy that is absolutely stunning. And you come down the road, and then there's this beautiful mansion, gorgeous mansion at the end. And we were told, you know, this is just sort of a a shadow of what was there because they had built two wing houses, a left and a right, that are are now uh, rubble, actually, Uh, One was still standing, the other was gone because of uh, war times. And we're just taken by the absolute beauty of this uh, plantation, which is still a working plantation. They still work it and farm the land. They have orchards and crops that they grow. But then we begin to take a walk back down that lane, and suddenly there's a hard, hard history that comes to light. There are along that same road with the beautiful oaks set, set a little bit back, nine shacks. And these were the slave shacks because that plantation w- was built on the backs of people who were enslaved. And in each one of these shacks, they have history. And you can take a, a walk through each shack and learn about what it was like 
to be a slave. And that was pretty difficult to see this immense, gorgeous beauty and all that was built. And here it was on the backs of people who had a price on their head. We walked into one shack, and there on the wall was a list of John Boone's slave assessment from 17, I forget the year, 1757, something around there. Remember, the bottom line was about $39,000. They had these people grouped in lots, which were sort of families. And I remember seeing one, his name was Will. They were all named, Will was the highest price, $1,200. And then the younger people, the younger uh, and the older were less, saw one, $100. And uh, it's just hard to see. This is how life was valued. An actual price was put on it. And I came across another slave assessment, and it was uh, the estate of a guy named John Jeffries in South Carolina. And his was even harder to read. He had all these people named and numbered. And then I saw one, it said, Old Bill, worthless. That's what was written next to it. And then there was Annika. Annika actually had an age, it said 75. And next to her name, worthless. And I saw one on that same list. Born blind, zero. That's the value. That's the worth that somebody would put on another human being. It's hard. It's hard to see that that would be made life's value. I came across another example. It's uh, more recent times. It was a young uh, Korean girl, North Korean. She managed to escape from North Korea. Her name is Yanami Park. And I've got just a little snippet of a speech he gave, and I think it's maybe worthwhile to watch. Let's look at this. It speaks to this idea of value. North Korea is an unmeasurable country. There is only one channel of TV. There is only one internet. We aren't afraid to see, say, remember, or think what we want. North Koreans are desperately seeking a time for freedom at this moment. When I was nine years old, I saw my friend's mother publicly executed. Her crime, watching a Hollywood movie, expressing doubt about the greatness of the regime can get three generations of a family imprisoned or executed. Today, I escaped North Korea. I saw my mother raped. The rapist was a Chinese broker. He targeted me. I was 13 years old. There is a saying in North Korea. Women are weak, but mothers are strong. My mother allowed herself to be raped in order to protect me. It's difficult to watch something like that. It was only 
three years ago, I think, that girl made that little video, or, and there was more to it. Uh, it's modern times. It's a country that exists right now. And there was a very similar example in this girl's life of price on a head. I read more about her. When she went to China, escaped from North Korea into China with a Chinese broker that smuggled her in, they sold her, and they sold her mother. She said, my mother sold for $65, and I sold for $200. It's another example of how one person could put a price and a worth on someone else. A, a value that's just so arbitrary and awful. It's, and in that video, that girl, Ms. Park, she said, you know, women are weak, mothers are strong. And it's another, it's another expression now of value. It's another expression of worth that really takes it to, to an area that is much more important. The idea of worth in life that is beyond this dollars and cents. She said, you know, her mom protected her. The Chinese broker wanted her. And her mother sacrificed herself for the daughter. This was not a dollars and cents decision. This was not about money. This was not about a price on anyone's head. There was something more that defined the mother's life. There was a different perspective on life. There was something greater that transcended the value of the here and now, something greater that transcended even the value of her worth. And so they had this saying in North Korea, women are weak, and yes, a woman who just saw herself as worthless in, in the sight of a regime that wanted a worship of the emperor and brainwashed people. I can see how an individual might say, what do I have to live for? I have no value. I have no worth. And thus, they're weak and they're frail. And so the saying is, the women are weak, but a mother, a mother is strong. Why? Why is that? Because this mother had something more. A mother has something beyond self. A child, her very offspring, flesh of her flesh, bone of her bone. Miss Park's mother saw something that was worth far more than her dignity and her self-respect, something more valuable than herself, something more valuable than her entire life, and that was her daughter. And because there was something something that existed outside of herself. The mother might aptly use the words of the Scripture that we read this morning. I consider my life worth nothing to me. But in reality, the life of the mother was not worthless at all. Far from it. Far from it. The mother's perspective, her attitude, that life, that, that her life could be valued so much less, rendered her life very valuable. 
extremely valuable, very worthwhile. So valuable was the life of that mother that it was effective to serve and to minister to the saving of her daughter from being ravaged. And now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere about the value of life beyond a price that somebody could stamp on someone's head and say, you're worth 200 and you're worth 65 and you're worthless. Awful. But to see something beyond us, something that transcends this mother-daughter incident, it serves as an illustration of the words of the apostle. I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's because there is another perspective in And there was another assessment to be made. And Paul made that assessment. He continued. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me because, he went on, my only aim, because my only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. The task of what? Testifying of the good news of God's grace. You know, the apostle determined that the valuation of his life came to a sum total, if we could put a number on it, came to a sum total of zero. That's the way he made his self-assessment. And when that life is based on something other than the purposes of Christ, the value is tough. The value is... What, what is it worth? But Paul saw something beyond his life. He wasn't saying he was suicidal or fatalistic. No, he saw a greater purpose, a greater aim. His life aim pointed on the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was an eternal mindset. And it was entirely different. And this is the assessment. This is what gives purpose and worth. The aim of Paul's life, which gave him purpose and worth, was advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have declared, he said, to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. That was his goal. That was his aim. And he said it was his only aim. This is what gave his life value. His value was based on his mission for Jesus. And he uses this image of a race. And his aim was to finish the race, to complete the task that Jesus had given, this task of testifying of God's good news. Like the mother, like the mother who considers her life nothing for the sake of her child, Paul thinks nothing of his life, nothing of his life but the mission, the mission of doing the work of his Savior, Now, if we take that as the principle, if we take that as the principle, and I say rightly it is, rightly this is the principle. And if we're to imitate the apostle, we too will think nothing of this life. We can get to that perspective to think nothing of this life for the sake of our mission, for the sake of the task, for the sake of what the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed us to do. And how does that bear out in practical living? What does that mean? Well, in the extreme case, it could bear out by giving your entire life. Ultimately, that is the meaning. There were so many martyrs 
in the early church, martyrs in the early days. Paul the Apostle was one of them, ended up giving his life. That, that was the completion of his mission. He may have had his eye on completing a race, and it was cut short, but he continued with that focus on what he wanted to do, continued with putting that in front of him. And the completion of his mission was the giving of his life. And the, a, examples abound. They abound. In the second century, there was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. He gave his life. The Romans took him and threatened him with wild animals. It seemed like the magistrate was trying to get him to uh, be freed. He said, hey, all you got to do is deny Christ. That's it. All you need to do is say, Lord Caesar, and not say, Lord Christ. Well, he didn't do it. Well, he said, well, instead of the wild animals, we're going to burn you alive. All you need to do is say, Lord Caesar, and not say, Lord Jesus. And this is his famous reply. I have served Christ these 86 years during which he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and it then becomes extinct. But you're ignorant of that fire of future judgment and eternal punishment which is reserved for the wicked. Why make more delay? Order what you will. So what did they order? They ordered the fire and they burned him. But this man kept his aim. He completed his mission. His value was, his value hinged and it, it was contained in his mission for Jesus Christ. And this is not a story that is now lost and extinct and doesn't happen anymore? No. No. Egyptian Christians beheaded by ISIS in 2015, modern day. Many others in the Mideast. And of course, the persecution in North Korea. People are dying for Jesus. But these are the extremes. These are the extremes. To think nothing of our life for the sake of our mission for Jesus Christ. How does that bear out in our practical living? What is your mission in this, a blessed country? What is your mission in this, a blessed time in which we all live? It is not likely our mission is going to call for us to give our life for Jesus Christ. It's not likely that many of us are going to be put to the sword or uh, threatened with fire. So what's our aim? What is the task that we have been called to for Jesus? Well, it's to be a student. It's to be a parent. It's to be a good worker. It's to be a neighbor. It's to be a friend. It's to be a good citizen. So what, what does that mean in life? It means you might have to be that weird kid at school, right? You might have to be the weird Christian at school. Hey, I saw a Bible in your backpack. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. And it's easy, I suppose, or it seems, to fall to these temptations, to deny Jesus, even in this, where we have it so good. It's, it's, not, it's not a knife in our back, a gun to our head. We might have to be the parent who says no to a child 
No, that doesn't come into this house. No, we don't live like that. That's not the way we do things. You might have to be the Jesus freak at work, the one who's pointed out in the neighborhood. You might have to deny a lust, to keep the Ten Commandments, to affirm the sanctity of life, to turn away from sin, to stand for righteousness and to stand for holiness and to openly pray in the name of Jesus. These are the things. These are the, the practical applications of living our life and saying, I count my life worth nothing. And some of us might be called to more strenuous things and harder things, you know, to break from friends or family. Maybe it's the matters of work where something's going on and we have to say, I have to leave that place of work. You know, we might have to stand aside. Someone might have to be forsaken in our life when it calls for us to deny our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is this under all circumstances, under all circumstances, our common aim, our common mission is to rise up, to rise up superior to our own desires and our own wishes, to deny ourselves, to rise above the opinion of the culture, and to stay true to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our aim and our mission in in this world then is not tied to this life, but it's the aim and the mission of Jesus Christ. And it's all about gaining eternal life. All our worth, all of our value, all of our wealth, where does it reside? It's in the cross of Christ. It's in Jesus. This is what it is. This is what it is to think nothing of this life. And again, it doesn't render this life worthless. That actually transcends the value of the here and now, the value that can be so easily numbered in a dollars and cents way. What we live for transcends that so greatly. It's valuable and it's meaningful because it means we consider this life and the things of this life nothing at all for the sake of our Savior who is eternal, and in him we have eternal life. All our wealth is in the cross, and yet so many seemingly can't stay the course. So many can't stay following wholly and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ when there is no threat. There is no threat of being burned alive. There is no threat of being uh, taken hostage. There is no gun saying, confess Allah. And yet so many consider their life and their feelings and their fear of embarrassment something more valuable than Jesus, than standing for Jesus. So what can we do? What can we do if that's that's confronted us. What can we do if we've been the one who's been embarrassed in the neighborhood? Or or we've, "Mm, no, I'm not going to, sorry, I'm not going to pray out loud. No, I'll turn the other way. I I, I know, you know, that the boss wants me to do this and it's wrong and and, and it might even be uh, unethical, but I got to keep my job. What can we do? What can we do to help these struggles? Well, Paul expressed his thoughts, as I earlier said, as he was leaving Ephesus after an extended stay. He was there three years, and he spoke about his life, and he gave this perspective. 
No, focus on the mission. Focus on the mission despite the hardships. And you know what he said to the Ephesians? It wasn't encouraging. It was actually somewhat discouraging. Ravenous wolves are going to come in and take on the flock. He said, listen, tough times are going to come. You know what? Tough times are going to come. We are all going to face some kind of difficulty, hardship, trial, tribulation. And what then? Are we going to stay true to Jesus Christ? So Paul went on to say to these Ephesians, you're going to suffer these hardships, as we all will. And and perhaps we're not going to feel it as much as they did in the first century. But Paul said at the close, he said at the close of this farewell address, Acts 20 at the end of the chapter, verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Now this is something that we can do to help strengthen us that we might stand firm when we need it. Now Paul's prayer is not recorded. I wish it were that we have Jesus' prayer recorded in John 17 on, uh, on his farewell day. But we don't have Paul's prayer recorded. I can imagine what he prayed. I can imagine he prayed, you need to stay strong in your connection to Christ, and I want to ask for that help. You need to stay firm in your commitment, and I'm going to ask God for that help. He might have prayed, Lord, help them. Help them to consider their lives worth nothing but find their value and their worth by staying the course, by staying committed to you, Jesus, Lord and Savior. I imagine that might have been part of his prayer. And this is a Sunday where we take time to pray. I want us to pray this Sunday, today, at these altars. And I want to ask our elders and our ministers to come. And if you've been struggling as a parent as a student, as a worker, as a neighbor, as a friend, if anything's come where you've said, ah, I let down my Lord. I had this opportunity to stand up for him and I just turned my back. We can pray. We can pray. We can ask and seek and get strength from God. And as I said last week, I want us to be seekers. I want us all to be seekers. Seekers of more of God, like King Uzziah, who sought the Lord, and God prospered him. And if you need the prosperity of strength to stay firm, then we need to seek God. If you've been struggling at all with maintaining your aim, with keeping your focus, you've been grappling with staying focused on the mission that God has called you to, come and get some prayer. But, you know, we also pray for physical needs today. And if you're suffering, if you have a physical need, I want you to come this morning. And if it's been something that's been ongoing and chronic, you know, sometimes that can be discouraging. Sometimes that can cause us to question our faith. You know, ask for strength if you need it. Ask for strength if you're doubting and you've been dealing with chronic issues and pain and suffering. God can give you strength. And if you don't know Jesus, oh, if you've never come to Jesus, today is a day for you to come. If you haven't, as we read today, turned to God in repentance and proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, take that step. Your life can become something so much more valuable 
than you even think it is today. I want to pray for these people too. Ken Mazzola, who's been really in a difficulty and he's having trouble swallowing. Mabel McKee, she fell down and she's in the hospital rehab right now. John Simon's going to be having carpal tunnel surgery this Wednesday. And Sophia Carroll lost her sister, Sheila Marion, this Tuesday. And let's pray and pray as you come. Father God, we, we just pray over these needs right now, God. And I pray over every... Uh, Pray over every person in the sanctuary, God, as they come, as, as each one comes to yield to you, Lord. Lord, may hearts, may hearts be uh, softened before your throne of grace this morning, Lord. Use these elders and ministers as channels of the living God. God, bless these that we've named, Lord. Brother Ken and Mabel McGee and John Simon and Sophia and Lord, comfort. Send your comfort, send your loving kindness, send your grace and mercy into these situations. We look forward to what you're going to do, God, because you can do it all. We've heard a great testimony this morning, God, of answered prayer. And we pray that you would answer prayers this morning. We commit it to you and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.